0: are heating up on he's dead Jim we're only five episodes away from the epic season finale who will win who will be evicted let's meet our contestants representing her home state of Indiana it's fan favorite Emily Lind
1: wait is one of us getting kicked off the show I didn't realize I don't know what's happening who
0: knows (laughs) it'll probably be me for being (laughs) silly
2: I did not plan taking a really hot sip of coffee.
1: <laughs> this hurts.
0: High stakes. How are you, Emily? I'm good. Always good to talk to you. Uh, I I listened to your solo podcast. Oh, Jesus. You did really, really well. Emily did an episode of Cannabite Dispatch by herself. And I reckon that solo podcasting is advanced podcasting.
1: It's It's really hard. I knew it wasn't going to be easy, but I felt so awkward. Just sitting in front of my computer, record talking to myself for like an hour.
0: You did great. I thought it was really good. So we're dealing with a, a black belt of podcasting. now. <laughs> well, cook- I'm not. I'm not. At, I'm not up to that level.
2: <laughs> I did something like that for Into the Minds of Madness, um, Paul McCorder's former podcast, and with really bad audio and I was like literally talking into my headphone microphone for like 30 minutes one time so bravo Emily bravo (laughs) Uh,
0: we better introduce this mystery voice Mm. let's meet the rest of our contestants representing my home state of New South Wales it's me Mick McConnell but wait here comes an intruder representing her home state of Georgia it's Linda Malta
2: Hey, y'all.
0: Welcome, Linda.
2: (laughs) Thanks for having me back.
0: Thanks for coming on the show. Who knows what's going to happen? Oh, God. (laughs) (laughs) Exciting times. Of course, you're from, originally from Georgia via like Florida and then New York, and right now you're in Northern Thailand.
2: Yep. Um, Things are great. We're kind of finishing up the school year here, which is a little bit odd because it's uh, mid-February.
0: Uh, Linda, of course, is teaching English. Yes, I am. Not attending secondary school. (laughs) And I hear you've been, uh, you're telling me you've been introducing the kids to lots of um, American movies, a bit of introducing a bit of pop culture.
2: Yes, I have. Kind of because, um, for a couple of reasons. Like, just with all, I feel like they've been overwhelmed with the amount of schoolwork. So I felt like pop culture would be a good way to, like, Provide a release, like kind of a stress reliever, and um also it's been a fun way to like introduce some classroom activities. Like we've been having scavenger hunts um based on an episode of The Good Place. So this item was featured in the good place. Um this item was featured in Modern Family. Now go out and find that with people in your group. Um based on that. And it's they can't use their phones, so they have to ask me. Um, If they talk to another teacher, they have to speak in English. It's been fun. (laughs) Um, That's awesome. Yeah, we also... I did have a couple of fails, kind of, sort of, with that. Um, So I showed one of my groups of 12 to 13-year-olds, The Lion King, but I I... I don't know if I poorly planned it, but just, they loved the movie, they were so excited, they were watching it on, like, this big screen, and then right when Mufasa dies, the bell rang oh, no. to end the class.
0: <laughs> uh. <laughs> oh, um, man.
2: Yeah, and then it was it was kind of, like, one of those things where they were just, like, they were loving it, they were, like, cringing at the um, elephant graveyard scene, and they're like, yeah, this is great! And then Mufasa dies, and I'm like, Okay, guys, see you Friday.
0: Oh, brutal cliffhanger. So on Friday, did they get to watch the second part?
2: They actually did not because that classroom... Oh, no. That classroom that has the big projector was locked because we couldn't find the key, and the only person with a spare key was off campus for a conference.
0: Oh, man, so what did you do? Did you have to act it out with sock puppets to give them closure? <laughs>
2: I told them that Simba was okay because they were very worried that he was going to be eaten by vultures. <laughs> because- <laughs> <laughs> and I was like, there's a very funny song in it called Hakuna Matata, which is very similar to the Thai phrase, Mai Pen Rai. Um, oh, nice. They didn't believe me. Not for a second. They're smart kids.
0: On this great and wonderful day, would you like to be one of the few... Uh, esteemed people that have attempted our Star Trek meritocracy quiz.
2: Absolutely.
0: Wonderful. So exciting. Uh, Question number one is what job would you choose to do on the Enterprise?
2: I've thought about this. Um, It's gone back and forth between either a science officer, specifically botanist, or chief medical officer. Or just a medical officer.
0: Do you have any doctors in the family? Two of them. Now, oh. they're, they're <laughs> yeah. medical doctors or they're professor doctors, aren't they? Science They're
2: professor doctorates. doctors. Oh, actually, no. Um, my cousin, Christy, is an orthopedic surgeon. Oh, wow. I forgot, I forgot about
1: her.
0: <laughs> very cool. You've a very academic family. They're very... Very sciencey family.
2: No, there's just there's just enough of us that they stand out.
0: Excellent. You're you're the family we're going to rely on to save us when the world is on fire. Maybe. <laughs> and I guess you, you're Georgian as well, so you'd, Georgia... you'd make an awesome ship's doctor.
2: <laughs> Absolutely. Get me um, drunk enough, and I'll put on the southern accent. <laughs>
0: Sweet, sweet. Now, yeah, was that that was last week's episode, wasn't it? The um,
1: when when he becomes
0: this insanely
1: southern, yeah, yeah.
0: yeah now, <laughs> yeah. Linda needs to um, reeducate <laughs> us on this. We're wondering why did McCoy go so southern? Oh, now he, he wasn't drunk, was he? He was is um, high on the the alien plant spore.
2: His
1: inhibitions were lowered. But that means, that, like, the entire time, normally, he's, like, repressing that, which doesn't seem like a McCoy thing.
2: No, you will notice that in this episode that we're going to talk about today. So, there's a couple of lines, and I made a point of underlying them. underlining Excellent. them. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Um, it's, it's actually something my mom had to kind of overcome when she was getting her PhD, because she's originally from Texas, so she grew up with a very, very thick central Texan accent. It was not refined at all. She sounded like a redneck, her words. And she had an advisor when she was getting her PhD who said, You need to clean up your accent because you're confusing words like a picture versus a pitcher, like a pitcher of water, <laughs> Becky, <laughs> Becky Joe. Stuff like that. Nice. Um, my sister, actually, I we moved from Georgia to Florida when I was really young, so I kind of was going off of my parents' accent. So, like, a very standard American, slight gravelly British Isles accent from my dad, um, and then just kind of like a plain old, I have clearly faked this mid-Atlantic accent from my mom, who had adopted it by the time i was born um but my sister went to an elementary school a preschool like playgroups with all of these kids in southern georgia so she had the thickest accent so much so that a couple of her teachers when we moved to florida called her georgia because she was so southern
0: oh well wow.
2: <laughs> it was <laughs> It's good because she's an actress now, so she can put down Southern accent on her resume. Oh, awesome. And it works. Wow, um, that's cool. But it's it's kind of one of those things you want to have, like, this refined appearance, but you can't hide where you come from. Um, so I know DeForest Kelly was from, he was from Georgia originally. So, and McCoy was originally from Georgia, some wikipedia sites have said like mississippi and stuff like that or his dad was from there but he didn't want to sound like a hick he wanted to sound professional so it's just repressing that but then like after he's had a couple of romulan ales hey jimbo
0: (laughs) so did it like did it sound realistic the way he was talking in that episode yeah absolutely okay because that's i mean to us not knowing it sort of sounded a bit like a almost a caricature or something
2: no 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 he even um he started to speak more slowly and that's kind of one of the characteristics when you're talking about a southern accent is it's kind of like you're walking through molasses and then your feet are dragging your speech is dragging
1: stuff like that look i mean i understand him doing it from an actor's Mm -hmm. from an actor's (laughs) standpoint like not thinking that the southern accent normally works for mccoy but i think like as a character thing in the utopian future of star trek the idea that we'd still be judging people by their accents, and then he would have to hide that is uh, faulty. Fair enough.
2: I mean, I guarantee you DeForest Kelly was probably, like, shaking his head and being like, I can't believe I have to do this between takes.
1: <laughs> I guarantee you.
0: When you get hammered, uh, Emily, do you talk in an Indiana accent?
1: I mean, I this is the Indian accent. S- southern, s- southern Indiana has a more... Southern accent, but but the Mm -hmm. the midwestern accent is this. It's it's pretty standard. It's sort of the way they teach news broadcasters to speak. Yeah, it's kind of like it's
2: got this light inflection, but it doesn't have the drawl that a southern accent has.
0: Okay, cool.
1: If that makes sense. So
0: what about, do you go full New York then when you get hammered?
1: I mean, I don't have a New York accent at all because I moved here when I was 20 something.
0: I just wonder if you like, like, if you did a couple of shots and you're like, hey, I'm walking here. <laughs> Except I can't do it.
2: <laughs> that was pretty good.
0: Which alien race would you be in the Star Trek universe?
2: I would be an Andorian. Oh, Ooh, nice. Sweet yeah i've been watching a little bit of um enterprise recently um andorian maybe an an aenean just because they've got um the really strong psychic powers but they're kind of seen as they're not really self-sufficient they're not really independent but yeah they're cool
0: so so many possibilities uh what food would you replicate first
2: tacos i miss tacos so much you can make tacos, tacos at
0: and, home, can't you?
2: They're not the same. Um, it's just, it's like the ground. It Here's what I would do. I would get like corn tortillas, which I cannot find here. I've tried um, chorizo, not ground beef, not ground pork, not chicken breast, chopped up, like real Mexican chorizo browned up, lots of cilantro, Lots of lime, lots of sliced white onion. It would just be the best.
0: Uh, what would you most like to do on the holodeck?
2: Ooh. Um, you know what? I probably would want to do, like, some kind of, ooh, some kind of, like, I'm going to say ziplining, as weird oh, enough sweet. as it sounds. Like, kind of... Um, maybe doing, like, an Attack on Titan type fantasy. And I'm saying that because I just, partly because I just went ziplining earlier this year, and it terrified me, and I'm like, I never want to do it again. But having, like, that guarantee that it's safe, I could kind of translate it to my own nerdy needs and, like, play Aaron for 30 minutes and then go back to my work.
0: That'd be awesome. Yeah, um, we've got a bit of an extreme sports theme. I think uh, last week Emily was saying she'd like to throw herself off a mountain in the holodeck.
1: Yeah. I still stand by that. Epic. Yeah. Yeah.
0: So, ziplining.
2: Oh, no, no, no. I changed that. Um, I would probably do a reenactment of one of the dungeons from Legend of Zelda, Ocarina of Time. So, maybe, like, Mount Doom
0: Sweet. That... I haven't played much of Ocarina of Time. I've played the hell out of Breath of the Wild. Maybe if they re-release it for Switch, I'll have a crack at it.
2: Oh, I definitely will. Um, Breath of the Wild, every time I've played it, I've literally just gotten caught up with, hey, you can cook, you can tame horses. Oh, wait, there's dungeons? Huh.
0: So I'm good. missing
2: out on most of this game. Yeah. So, yeah, either ziplining or some kind of, like, video game reenactment. So, Ocarina of Time, Mount Doom, maybe the Water Temple? Yeah, cool.
0: Mm -hmm. That'd be awesome. Yeah, actually, paragliding from Breath of the Wild would be sweet. Oh my god. Hey, it's Mick, just cutting in quickly because we had a few tech dramas on the day while we were recording, so I'm just going to do a quick summary of the start of the episode. We're recapping The Devil in the Dark, which is episode 25 from season 1, episode 26 if you're watching on Netflix. It originally aired on NBC on March 9, 1967, and it's brought to us by series regulars, director Joseph Pevney and writer Gene L. Coon. Uh, basically, we're dealing with a classic sci-fi monster story. It's set on a planet called Janus 6, where there's a Pigeum mining facility. In Star Trek canon, Pigeum is a very important fuel required to run life support systems on nearby planets. And a mysterious creature from deep beneath the planet's surface has started killing off the miners one by one, and few have got a glimpse of it. So I think the last thing I need to bring you up to speed on is the fashions. The miners are wearing cool orange jumpsuits. Chief Engineer Vandenberg, he's the boss, he's wearing an orange jumpsuit. And Chief Processing Engineer Ed Appel gets to wear a nice purple jumpsuit. And now you're up to date. Let's rejoin our episode.
2: So we left off with Emily talking about the class difference between the miners and the starship people.
1: Yeah, I just I thought that was sort of interesting because it's it feels like... Sometimes, because Star Trek has this utopian thing to it, we don't always get that stuff because the future is supposed to be better. So, unless we're on like an alien story where the aliens have this vast, like stratified class system, we're not talking about it.
2: I would be really curious to see how either of my parents would comment on this because they were both teenagers uh, when the original series premiered and my dad is from Colorado. So he was really aware of like mining and like those kinds of jobs. So I don't know what he would comment on. Like he's his big comments um, like his big thing was water usage in the Midwest and Southwest um, so I just would be curious to see what he would say like I don't know if there was some kind of like current event happening at the time mm.
0: Mm, there you go
2: so it just would have like reflected that and maybe that was they were kind of like we're disguising it as this future like utopia but in reality this is hitting the local news people don't be idiots
0: oh, yeah. yeah I wonder if it is there seems to be a lot about this. Mining facility making a profit like this is like almost. I assumed everybody's just working so that Starfleet can discover stuff and everybody's working together like this because you know, meritocracy that's talked about, but there, this seems to be a you know, private enterprise it's yeah, because got quotas to me
2: because money's not supposed to exist. Like, I remember from um, like the fourth Star Trek movie, like. There's that scene of Kirk being stranded in like that pizza place and he's not able to pay for the bill because they don't have money. <laughs> so why is yeah, even right. yeah.
1: Well, I mean, that's always been really nebulous though. Okay, yes. Fine. I mean, like even in I mean, I agree with it, like it's a pro- it's sort of something they shouldn't have tried to introduce at all cuz it's so inconsistent.
2: Yeah.
0: Like and on the Pretty sure next generation people are like, they've got credits or something that they used to spend on the replicators. So it's look, I replicated you this birthday present. Okay. It it does sort of
1: make that whole thing weird.
0: Yeah, that's right. I mean, part of it, I guess you could explain that you're trying to conserve energy or something like that. So you're given a certain amount of credit each week. I don't know, but yeah, it's inconsistent at best. We cut to an expendable orange jumpsuit guy alone in the caverns. And there is scary music. There's a scary noise of rock scraping. And uh, I have the subtitles on and it pops up in, in parentheses, fiery noise. All caps.
1: <laughs> Ominous elbow. <oboe. laughs>
0: the, uh, the poor guy screams as he's set upon. And then we cut to a pile of steaming ash where his body was seconds ago. Uh, Kirk says to Spock, our sensors can pick up normal life functions at a considerable distance, but what about abnormal life functions? Um, which dun, dun, dun. Like a Pretty basic sort of thing. I guess that's a logical thing. Um, an alarm interrupts them. Quick, something's wrong in the reactor room. And they find a massive hole and a thick metal wall and more damage inside the reactor room. The main circulating pump is missing. And Vandenberg says, without the pump, the reactor could go supercritical and poison half the planet. They can't shut down the reactor because it's providing heat and air and life support for the whole colony. Uh, Kirk says, uh, Mr. Spock, we seem to have been given a choice. Death by asphyxiation or death by radiation poisoning. Dramatic music, fade to black, throw to commercial. Uh, On the Enterprise, Scotty is smiling from ear to ear as he shakes his head and tells Kirk, a PXK perigium reactor? No, sir, we haven't got a spare circulating pump. I haven't seen a PXK in years. Scotty loves it. He's pumped up. (laughs) Scotty loves nuclear reactors.
2: (laughs) (laughs) He's a tech nerd. Let's be honest.
0: Yeah, yeah. He's so excited that. Everybody's about to die in a meltdown. Um,
2: <laughs> well, because Scotty they can, says the Enterprise can leave. Scotty can just like beam up Kirk, Spock, and McCoy, and bye.
0: Yeah, it was not that he just he just loves um, an engineering problem. Scotty says he can rig up a temporary unit that might hold for forty-eight hours. And this is when we learn that twelve other planets uh, nearby rely on this facility for. Mm. The, Per GM in there for their reactors so they're all living on planets where they can't survive without life support okay. spock is developing a theory and he says life as we know it is universally based on some combination of carbon compounds but what if life exists based on another element for instance silicon <sighs> now was this a sci-fi trope the silicon-based life form was that a like a classic okay, sci-fi no, trope?
2: But there was, there was a movie with like, um, let me look up, David Duchovny, Julia Moore, Orlando Jones. Evolution. In 2001, evolution, where they were nitrogen-based life forms and they had to find the way to kill them. Like a meteor hit Arizona and it was up to them to like, all these aliens started coming and going through like rapid evolution.
0: Oh, wow. So I've never had- seen that. This is sort of a comedy though, wasn't it? Yeah. Yeah.
2: It is. It's so bad, but it's just it. It was it's one of those really things bad. where I was like rewatching the episode, and I was like, "Evolution really ripped them off." Oh, there
0: you go. Well, I've I've definitely seen it like in in I guess a little bit more recent things like I swear in the X Files they had they talked about silicon based life forms.
1: I mean, there's a whole page of it on um, on TV tropes, and. Mm. Yeah, it does appear. It does appear in the X Files, in uh, Firewalker. It's in Doctor Who. Uh, looks like one of the Stargates did something on it.
0: So it, it's definitely a trope now. So I just wondered if maybe this, this Devil it. in the Dark was the catalyst.
1: Could have been. Um, yeah. There was some. There was some. Asimov. I don't know when that story was written though just want to check the date on this. Yeah. There was an Asimov story like from the fifties. Oh, cool. Nice. So I guess
0: being, not being overly educated about chemistry and being a computer nerd, I always thought, Oh, it's silicon based like a computer, but I guess it's obviously it's, uh, it's more about it being a, a rock creature, isn't it? Mm-hmm. Which is exciting. Um, Kirk says that a creature that lives in, that lives deep below us in solid rock would have to have some form of natural armour plating in order to survive. And Spock says that would explain much, especially as the colonists are armed only with phaser one. Kirk adds, but our people have phaser number two. I, uh, I love this. This, uh, I, I don't think I've heard this mentioned before ever. So Kirk's, Kirk's, um,
2: we're better than it, them. It's yeah, we, have,
0: we have phaser 2.0 or phaser 2 S the new slim. So model.
2: convenient.
0: <laughs> um, Spock says, which I could adjust to be more effective against Silicon. Um, McCoy's not into the idea and says silicon based life is phys- physiologically impossible. Kirk addresses a whole team of red shirts, their security officers from the Enterprise, and sends them out to comb every level for the creature. Spock and Kirk patrol the tunnels too, and Spock adjusts his tricorder to scan for silicon and immediately detects a silicon life form. We cut to a lone red shirt. Uh, The subtitles pop up again in all caps, fiery noise. (laughs) And then the red shirt screams as he's devoured by the beast.
2: Not devoured, Um, but a crisp.
0: Yeah. Well, yeah. (laughs) Consumed. (laughs) Okay. Kirk and Spock arrive to find the pile of smouldering ash. And uh, Spock notices that a nearby tunnel was made only moments ago. And then we finally see the beast.
2: Oh, How man. would you describe the beast? It's Pizza the Hut from Spaceballs. It's Pizza the Hut. I
1: it went with Marjorie Pepper. the Talking Traps Sheep from Frogger Rock.
0: <laughs> so good it it is. It's it has the way it moves has very puppet like qualities.
2: Well, so basically, it was a stunt performer who designed the costume and like essentially it was this tortoise shell almost. So he could like move around side to side, like limited still, but it seemed, yeah, that's basically what it was. It's a big puppet.
0: Man. Are you familiar with Fraggle Rock too, Linda? Uh,
1: a little bit, yeah.
0: So good. How good was Fraggle Rock, Emily? Oh,
1: my God. If I love anything that Hanson did.
0: Do you know I'm the actually- lighthouse keeper was different? Like it was localised? what so i think we got the english version that had so or or definitely when i was when i was living over in the uk i bought it on dvd over there and the lighthouse keeper's like an english guy or a scottish guy or something
1: huh they did that in
2: zootopia like the news anchor for every country that it was screened in was like a local well-known reporter for that country so like in Australia, it was a koala, and it was someone from like a news, a-, a news station in Melbourne. And then Brazil, it was like a jaguar. And Oh, wow. Mm-hmm.
0: They do that a lot with animated cartoons. I know like early on, they're just, and of course, because you're just doing voices, you can dub it over. But yeah. I know like Rove McManus, one of our sort of famous comedy variety show hosts, like he, he was the voice of a seagull. Like, it's normally a very minor sort of character <laughs> that they localise. Mm-hmm. And I think the race car in, like, Cars 2, one of the race cars is, like, they had an Australian race car driver voice it and changed it to his colours, so it was just fairly minor sort of detail.
2: Oh, nice. the, see.
0: yeah, the, um, and again, I don't know how many countries they localised it for, but they definitely did, a, like, a British and an American one. So they must have, you know, they had to sh- to shoot the, all the lighthouse keeper's bits with the dog, you know, multiple times.
2: Yeah, I hmm. actually don't, I'm, I actually had a massive fear of puppets when I was growing up, so I never oh, really? really liked to watch Sesame Street, um, any Jim Henson, yeah.
0: You would have hated the trash it.
1: <laughs> found Maybe. out recently,
0: actually, I think it was listening to Steel Wars with one of the Henson puppeteers, um, I didn't realise the the Muppet Show was actually filmed in England.
1: Oh. Oh. Interesting. Yeah.
0: It was like you know, they couldn't get anyone to any production company to pick it up in the States and then an English guy picked it up and they did it over there, set up the studio. And so that means like when Mark Hamill was guest or whatever, or whoever was guest for the week, they're flying them to England for it.
1: Huh. It's
0: amazing. F- my I'll favorite thing
2: my favorite thing like recently has been watching um the Muppet Bloopers. Oh, oh wow. they're
1: so good. They're amazing.
0: <laughs> oh man. There'd be a fair bit of Frank Oz in that, I'm guessing.
2: Oh yeah. It's definitely it's worth a watch. It's like the one where know. um it's like the the uh the two otters and they have like the wheel that's like rolling in front of them and they're like, well, we can't move because we're stapled to the ground. Because that's how Henson made the puppets, guys.
0: Man, that's amazing, isn't
1: it? <laughs> it's it's just funny. It's amusing.
0: So fascinating fascinating. Back to a time of practical effects. Um so yeah it does it looks like a moving pile of trash. Um it's I guess meant to be like molten rock or something. So it looks like it's got a heap be- of Sort of ketchup and mustard sprayed on top of it. <laughs>
2: yeah, like lava I, or something. I kind of remembered. I don't know if I just like blocked this out, but when I first saw the episode, I kind of remembered it as like this more like Saran wrap kind of mm. based character. I don't know if that was just like me imagining things or associating it with something else, but I was just like, ew, that's gross. When I rewatched <laughs> it.
0: Yeah, sort of we like it, um, and it's, I guess this is where they, you know, obviously they didn't have CGI, so they had to do it with a guy in a puppet suit. Um, But it's meant to be this creature that can move, you know, super fast and melt Mm -hmm. through solid rock and everything, but when you see it, it's just this puppet thing just scuttling about.
2: (laughs) Yeah, it's like those... um it's like those uh, onesies that they made for babies that are just learning to crawl, but they've got like <laughs> mops on the arms. <laughs> so <laughs> it's like.
0: That's yeah. the shaggy bit. Yeah. Um, so Spock and Kirk shoot it with their phaser 2.0s, and the creature retreats. Um Kirk and Spock pick up a piece of the creature that they shot off and it it's moving and pulsating like it's breathing. Oh, it kind of looks like a
2: so giant
0: meatball pizza. Uh, Kirk says, not animal tissue, is it? And Spock says, the closest approximation I could come to would be fibrous asbestos, a mineral captain. So they're all going to die of asbestosis in a few years. <laughs>
2: Captain, in a few years, there's going to be commercials talking about mesothelioma on daytime television in the United States. This is relevant.
0: (laughs) Man, I suppose, yeah, hopefully they got some cool technology that McCoy can just filter their lungs out for them.
2: Oh, obviously.
0: They're dealing with a silicon-based creature capable of moving through solid rock as we move through air. The creature's body creates an extremely powerful corrosive, uh, and Kirk warns the commander of the security team that there's nothing more dangerous than a wounded animal. As the dramatic music rises, we fade to black, you go to a commercial. Uh, Spock thinks this creature might be the only survivor of a dead race, and to kill it would be a crime against science. And Kirk says they have to kill it, and Spock agrees. Uh, However, later on, when they're addressing the security officers, Spock directs them to capture it. And Kirk looks up alarmed and says, your orders are to shoot to kill. And then uh, he, he takes Spock aside and basically tries to send him off to help Scotty fix the pump for the reactor to try and get get rid of him because he's getting too passionate, which is an interesting dynamic for Spock. Uh, You can't feed Spock any bullshit assignment, though, because he he says he's not needed there and that Mr. Scott has far more knowledge of nuclear reactors than I do. Kirk then tries the angle that Spock is second in command and that they're too important to risk both their lives in this dangerous hunt. Uh, But Spock's already calculated the odds, and he says the odds of them both being killed are 2,228.7 to 1. And then Kirk immediately backs down.
1: Well, also, considering how often they're both on dangerous missions together that nobody seems to have a problem with, it's a little bit disingenuous on Kirk's part here. Emily, why do you think they send the red shirts? Well, they send the red shirts and <laughs> Kirk and Spock. No, the red are <laughs> they're human shields. Duh. Well, yeah, well, yeah but then, like, radio. what I'm saying is, like, this is the first time Kirk ever raises this.
0: Kirk's just pissed off with Spock and he's trying to get rid of him
2: that was one of the like more ridiculous elements of the 2009 Star Trek was like people get killed and then second in command gets killed and yada 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 it's like a logistical nightmare
0: yeah that's right so I don't know why Kirk could think he could lie to Spock and fool him because he's the human computer or the the half human computer. computer yeah yeah thank you but i like this what it says for like scotty's expertise that he knows even more than this walking computer guy about nuclear reactors
2: oh i would love to see scotty gloating to spock about antiquated mater- antiquated machines yeah i would yeah. love he always to got see a big that
0: grin so cool um scotty radios in to say his makeshift pump has failed and they now have 10 hours until the reactor goes supercritical. kirk and spock separate to try and surround this creature in two converging tunnels Um, kirk finds heaps of the silicon nodules and radios spock to tell him Uh, the creature pushes past unbeknownst to kirk and creates a cave-in and kirk is cut off um, Spock hurries around the other way as we see the creature melt through a wall near Kirk and head toward him. Um, the creature stops and begins to reverse whenever Kirk raises his phaser. So the, the Kirk's figured out the power of phaser two. Um, Spock tells Kirk to kill it now, but Kirk says it's not making any threatening moves. Um, the colonists are patrolling the tunnels and one of them... in. Front is wearing a purple jumpsuit. I wonder if that's our head engineer. Uh, I think it he's is. just holding—he's just holding a metal bar for a weapon.
2: <laughs> the whiffle <laughs> bats.
0: <laughs> this is where we get the angry mob of miners and Starfleet doing their cue the cue the
2: mob song from Beauty and the Beast.
0: Oh, nice! <laughs> <laughs> this is basically it. Is Beauty and the Beast, isn't it? Angry mob of villagers coming in to attack this creature. Um, Kirk starts talking to the beast and says, "Well, what are we do we what do we do now? Just talk it over." And then on cue, the creature pivots around to show Kirk its wound. And then Spock finally gets there, and Kirk yells not to shoot. Spock does a mind meld with this rock creature, so he does it from a distance and uh, holds his hands out. And as soon as the mind meld kicks in, Spock starts screaming out, "Ah!" Pain, pain, pain. Uh, and then doubles back and snaps I mean, out look, of it. I mean, look,
1: I love <laughs> Leonard Nimoy. I really do. And when he's just Spock, he's amazing. But I I cannot stand this shit. It's so bad. It's, it's the same, like, really hammy stuff we get from Shatner when he's got his big dramatic stuff. Ugh. Yeah, And it's just... It's too bad because like, I feel this episode... Is really hurt by that because, like, on paper, like if I was just reading the script, I'd be like, "Okay, oh, hey, that's really cool," but it's just it comes off really badly. It's yeah. so cheesy. I fucking love
0: it.
2: So but fun. That, like, that's kind of like common for just TV shows and movies of this era, though. In general, like very over dramatic. Yeah,
1: but you know, like it might and maybe like okay. when you're watching it in the sixties it's fine, but anytime you're like, it's, you know, like I said, it's like the Shatner stuff now. It it doesn't play mm-hmm. well, at least for me. Like, it's too bad. It just, it it comes off as funny rather than having the emotional impact that it's going for.
0: Yeah. Yeah, and that's, that, and that's why I love it, because it's fun and ridiculous. they just yeah, like shouting out keywords. <laughs> Do you reckon this is, like, is that a thing from the stage, like, when they're...
2: I'm... I am going to I'm going to say as someone with a drama degree yes absolutely fucking yes it is um because it's still left over from trying to translate stuff from the stage to the screen and they weren't really sure of like their capabilities so like underacting was not a thing at the time
1: even in even
2: subtlety was even in
1: later Star Trek you get that sometimes um in in Deep Space Nine, A.B. Brooks has a he who's a Cisco has a theater background. And it's it's not the same kind as Hammy, but it does have this like very enunciated drama to him when he gets angry mm. that that does definitely seem like left over from doing Shakespeare or something.
0: Does he scream out keywords mm. about his feelings? <laughs>
1: <laughs> I mean, I mean the di- the dialogue is not the same, but...
0: Spock yells that shit and then doubles back in agony and snaps out of the mind meld and says, that's all I got, Captain. Waves and waves of searing pain. It's in agony. Uh, then the creature <laughs> moves over to a rock and burns the English words into the rock floor. <laughs> no kill I in all <laughs> caps. So you know it meant it.
1: Mm-hmm. It's like a baby
0: boomer trying to figure out Facebook.
2: Yeah. I mean, Um, at least it made an effort as someone who's like, I don't know. It was, I was like, oh.
0: It did really well. Like for something that's in immense pain that learned the language seconds ago. Exactly. Um, Spock. Uh, during the mind meld, Spock discovered that the creature was highly intelligent and, ex- and an extremely sophisticated animal.
2: Illogical. And logical. It calls
0: itself a hoarder. Yeah, very logical. And later on, he says how it was refreshing hanging out with the hoarder, something so logical compared to hanging out with humans. Kirk radios McCoy to come down and treat the creature, or he doesn't tell him what he's doing, just bring your medical kit. Um, Kirk asks Spock to try the mind meld again, and uh, Spock says it's going to be necessary to touch the creature. As soon as he does, uh, he goes full Nimoy again and winces with pain and goes, pity the thousands, devils, eternity ends, the chamber of the ages. It's some sort of weird um, yelling beat poetry. (laughs) The altar of tomorrow, murderers, stop them, kill strike back
2: <laughs> it's the enterprises i open feel like midnight. i feel like
1: the it is i feel like the horda like was into like epic fantasy or something with the, the like a chamber of like these yeah. are all these names are very something i would yeah
2: because i mean like yeah those it's word like choices are those word choices are not the simplest English <laughs> words to choose. So it's like, well done. The Horda can get a good score on the SAT.
0: Yeah, nice. Uh, meanwhile, the colonists are outside wanting to kill the creature and the commander of the Enterprise security team is doing his best to hold off the angry mob.
1: Jodo uh, McCoy
0: walk-
2: <laughs> I had so many high hopes that he was going to, like, become a character as, like, part of the main team and it just was like yeah we tried him out nah you're cut
0: oh man that sucks <laughs> he was cool actually
2: yeah
0: um mccoy walks in and wonders what the fuck spock is doing <laughs> <Just> <laughs> ranting yelling out this shit about pain kill chamber of <laughs> secrets or whatever. just yelling out harry potter <laughs> novel titles yes no voldemort um <laughs> Uh, maybe he's trying to sort the sort the hoarder in, into a house. Hmm, <laughs> <laughs> I think absolutely- Slytherin.
2: <laughs> no, the hoard is clearly a Hufflepuff. <laughs>
0: <laughs> yeah, I think it's, it's a nice creature, as we learn. Yeah, <laughs> So Spock is the Sorting Hat.
2: <laughs> oh my God, the fanfic! The fanfic.
0: <laughs> um, Kirk tells McCoy. Uh, what to do and McCoy reluctantly gets his instruments out and tries to help the creature Uh, and McCoy says yeah he's like
2: this is a this is a rock it's I can't fix this what do you what on earth are you trying to have me do and Kirk says you're a healer heal
0: yeah because he's all like I'm a doctor not a bricklayer
2: (laughs) this is the first time he says something like that this is the first time in the original series I looked it up. Oh, really? I was so excited. Yeah. This is the first time McCoy does his, damn it, Jim, I'm a doctor, not a, insert, occupation.
0: (laughs) Um, Spock finally finds out from the creature the location of the pump mechanism, and it's all sort of cryptic. You know, they're talking about this chamber of legends or whatever, (laughs) (laughs) chamber of ages. Um,
2: It's like the chamber of the lost children.
0: Yeah, yeah, that's all this stuff about. Yeah, man, it's it's epic. This uh, horde is a good storyteller. Um Kirk finds it in a chamber full of thousands of smashed silicon nodules, uh, which are the creature's murdered children that it's mourning. Um, Spock is crying now, and uh, sounds he's like got he's got the
2: one tear, the one tear. <laughs>
0: um. Sounds like he's talking the creature through its death, basically. Um, And meanwhile, the miners knock out the Enterprise security (laughs) officers and head in with their steel bars ready to bash this thing. Which
2: are basically just wiffle bats.
0: (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) This thing that couldn't handle their phases. I mean, all their phases couldn't handle it.
2: The guy in the purple jumpsuit is like, look, there they are. Look over there. Bonk.
0: (laughs) So aggressive. Um, Kirk stops the angry mob and says the first man that fires is dead. It's a deadly standoff mining strike. (laughs) Um, Spock explains that there have been many generations of hoarder on this planet. Every 50,000 years, the entire race dies, all but one. But the eggs live. She cares for them. And when they hatch, she is the mother to them. This creature here is the mother to her race. Uh, Kirk suggests the Horta are the greatest natural miners in the universe. How about you guys reach an agreement? They tunnel and you process. And um, the angry mob calmed down pretty quickly. I was impressed, actually.
1: I kind of like that that even though this is a really incredibly foreign alien, that as soon as they learn they've been destroying thousands of its babies they actually seem to get it and feel pretty bad
0: yeah they're pretty pretty evolved pretty woke for an angry <laughs> mob
2: i mean they're typical i uh, i don't know i was gonna make a their typical blue collar like pro-life oh we've been killing babies oh no <laughs> oh shit but um it's like yeah they're gonna be good business partners until they decide to unionize
0: <laughs> yeah yeah uh, meanwhile, McCoy has been patching the hoarder's wound with some sort of wet cement. Um, <laughs> McCoy declares it's not going to die and says, my favourite thing ever, he says, by golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day. I
1: love how
0: proud of him is. <laughs> no, actually, can you do that for us, please, Linda? I nearly called you Georgia then.
2: By golly, Jim, I'm beginning to think I can cure a rainy day.
0: I love it. So good. Uh, McCoy says he had the ship beam down 100 pounds of thermal concrete that they used to build emergency shelters, and he's patched up the creature. Back on the Enterprise Bridge, Kirk Radio's Vandenberg, who says everything's going great, and the baby hoarders are tunnelling like crazy, and they've already hit huge new per deposits, as well as gold and platinum and rare earths. Uh, Kirk tells him, once Mother Horda tells them what to look for, you people are going to be embarrassingly rich. So there you go. So,
2: yeah, just no one tell Mama Horda what a union is and do not. <laughs> 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 Ooh, that would be awkward.
0: I don't care. They just want a tunnel. I just want plenty of plenty of rock to eat. Yeah. I
1: feel ripped off that we didn't get to see a bunch of baby Horda. Oh,
2: yeah.
0: Yeah, that's true.
1: Here's the other thing oh, with, man. like, the Horda,
2: um, especially when I was rewatching it, it kind of had this Galapagos tortoise, like, appearance, just kind of, like, maybe they took some inspiration from that when they were designing the costume. And baby tortoises are adorable as fuck. <laughs> They're so cute.
1: Oh, that would have been so adorable.
2: Yeah, but...
0: We need to see baby Hordas.
2: Yeah, I don't know. It would It would have been weird to, like, how would they have incorporated them?
0: <laughs> just put if like you're little- an artist and you're listening, if you're somebody that likes to do a bit of a sketch on your iPad or whatever, um, feel free to, <laughs> to jot up a, a baby hoarder. So,
2: so here's what I'm anyway. imagining right now. Um, they take actual guinea pigs, the animals, and they put like the baby hoarder cover on them and they just like set them free. <laughs>
0: Well, I did it. Did it before with a dog, where they just put a you know, spiky horns and a tail or whatever on it.
2: Yeah,
1: that's there no, that's go. a good, that's a good project, baby. hordas. Yeah, I mean, I know that they that we have Spock talking about how it's you know this incredibly intelligent, logical, sentient being, but in my head, it just reads dog. Like there's something like <laughs> like it, like it just, it's a like it's a dog to me. It's a very sweet little dog. Aww. But then, like you think about it, it hurts, and you just want to like, oh, the poor herda, I mean, actually, what it reminds me of is in the Disney Beauty and the Beast with the dog that's turned <gasps> into the footstool. There's something in the oh, way it moves that's very my similar to that. God.
2: Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Holy shit. Emily, gold star.
0: <laughs> Definitely, this is a private enterprise and the miners are all getting a cut or a commission or whatever. So they're going to be loaded. They're going to be mining in fur coats. Um,
1: <laughs> uh, different colored fur coats. Yeah, different oh, colored. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that angry
0: guy with a steel bars got a purple one. <laughs> Big pimp hat. Oh, God. <laughs> okay, so... Vandenberg says, you know, the hoarder aren't so bad once you get used to their appearance. And Spock tells Kirk and McCoy that the hoarder said the same thing, that humanoid appearance was gross and revolting to her, but she thought she could get used to it. Uh, then we get the usual banner from Kirk and McCoy about Spock's ears, and Spock says the hoarder liked his ears the best, but he didn't oh. have the heart to tell her that he was the only one that had that trait A bit more banter and Mm. jolly smiles and then a head warp factor too as the credits roll (laughs) up.
2: The one thought that I had was as soon as he was like, oh yes, she thought my ears were most attractive. And in my mind, I just immediately started going do 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 (laughs) do (laughs) do do.
0: I I like the episode. I thought it was good. I think it was just a good fun like Old school B, like a B grade sci-fi movie, and where you do the, you know, they get very subtle reveals of the creature for ages.
2: Um, I mean, it's cool. it's really creepy because they t- the way the people are killed. There's they're incinerated. There's no like bone um, record, no dental record that they can check. That's creepy. Like, when you think about it, it's not graphic, but just getting into your head, you're like, oh, my God, that's a horrible way to die.
0: Yeah, that's freaky, isn't it? Wonder how 60s TV audiences found that.
2: My dad's asleep, so I can't ask him.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah. we will have to to get Dr. Moulton's feedback.
2: They've both dissected, like, tons of dead animals before, so (laughs) they've got strong stomachs.
0: All carbon based.
2: All carbon based. Sadly, there you go. I don't know. I could. I could ask my mom. Like she's got a master's in chemistry too. So what she would, and she's the bigger trekkie of the two of them. So I would be very curious to see what she thought about this episode.
0: Yeah, fascinating. I'd love to hear back, mm-hmm. uh, Emily. Do you have any final thoughts to chime in with?
1: I don't think so. I like one of the things I like about this episode is I like it when. It turns out the threat isn't actually aggressive. It's just protecting itself and we come to a peaceful resolution.
0: Yeah. And we were the monsters all along.
2: The devil (laughs) in the
1: dark.
0: Was
2: us. (laughs) Oh.
0: And McCoy saves the day.
2: Oh, yes. That makes me so happy. And a
0: healer. Yep. So I'm becoming a massive McCoy fan.
2: Rightly
1: so, Mick. Rightly yes. so. Emily, what about you? I've always liked McCoy. Bones is good. Yay! Awesome. Uh, I will just say next week is Errand of Mercy, which is the introduction of the Klingons.
0: Oh, sweet. Ooh. We get very different-looking Klingons. <laughs> yeah. To what we used to, yeah. That's so cool. I like their leader. Okay, any other final thoughts
1: no,
2: part of me. Um, I think I messaged you about this, like while I was watching it, and I was just like, "Oh, the set is bad, but it's kind of so bad that I have an idea of actually how they made each set." Like, yeah. I'm, so I'm convinced that um, a very low budget way of making like crinkly caves and stuff is you just take like drop cloths soak them in paint and, like, let them dry. And I'm convinced that's what they did. They just took an old set from a previous episode and they just covered it with that. And I don't know. It kind of, like, it, it's kind of brilliant how thrifty it can be, but mm-hmm. I'm just like, yeah, that ruins the magic. <laughs> but, you need practical effects.
0: Yeah. They, they're right. They're sort of, they're like purple tunnels and they do, like, yeah, they look like or something a little bit plasticky
2: and then like when you think about um then i was thinking about like how they actually have the horda in the episode and it's it's really cool to think of that's some person like under the costume like just moving around and like very swift and like nimbly it's kind of like um doug jones before all of his movies like practical effects
1: yay
0: yeah that's good and it's fun like I, I love seeing the fun 60s practical effects even though it looks a bit dodgy I it probably makes me like it more that's why I think we talked about before I love like really old mm-hmm. 70s Doctor Who uh, but the new stuff I just don't love as much because it doesn't have that sort of oh, you have dodgy, to check out the tra- campy aesthetic
2: you have to check out the Honest trailers for Doctor Who now Mick I'm going to message you <laughs> the links for them nice. they're so good
0: Nice, I look forward to that. Linda, how can we follow you on the internet? So,
2: you can follow me on Twitter at Cud Galactica. It's, um, CUDGalactica. It's um, C-U-D-G-A-L-A-C-T-I-C-A. You can also follow me on Instagram at L-E-M-O-U-L-T-O, LeMolto. Um, also... Uh, this is another like quick plug. I started a blog recently, which is kind of about me living abroad, and it's kind of like a travel blog, and just like it's going to cover unexpected topics that might come up when you're traveling as a solo person. Um, and that is a girl named Moo, M U. No consistency with the social media <laughs> titles, but that's fine. <laughs>
0: excellent I'll, I'll put those links up in the yeah. episode
2: i'm about to release a blog that's all about geckos and my very nice. complicated relationship
0: with them <laughs> very cool yeah, yeah. Oh, I'm, I'm enjoying hearing about your travels in northern thailand very yeah. and looking forward to seeing you when you come out here in a couple of months i'm great. so
1: excited
0: excellent thanks so much for coming yeah on. thank you
2: absolutely anytime yeah all right always a pleasure to talk to you guys Love
0: the podcast. Always a pleasure to talk to you, Linda uh, Linda. Now over to Lindo, Emily Lind. How can we follow you? And what exciting things are happening in your Uh,
1: world? you can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at EF Lind. That's at E F L I N D. And I do a Star Wars podcast called The Cantabite Dispatch. And that's um, on Twitter at Cantabite Pod. And it's just a pretty so great. relaxed Star Wars podcast where we quite honestly right now talk about a whole lot of other stuff because there has been no Star Wars news.
0: So much fun. <laughs> I really enjoy this dispatch.
2: Yeah, no, it's Very um cool. I've been listening to a lot of it while I've been like grading papers oh, thank and you. such, So it's really good. Yeah. It's it's a good pod. So yeah. <laughs>
0: what else we got so he's dead jim of course you can follow us we're at he's dead jim pod on your favorite social media thing and please send us an email if you'd like to join our conversations Uh, he's dead jim pod at gmail.com and if you're on itunes drop us a review and uh, if you're on spotify you can check us out there too let your friends know they're spotifiers and i think that's about it for this week Yay. Cool. Everybody know our sign-off?
2: Oh, yes.
0: (laughs) Until next time,
2: keep keep the the Star Trek alive.